Thanks for that, Tim. Great to, have, um, great to have that reading before us. If you can keep it open, that's what we're looking at today. Uh, that's where we're going to be spending our time. It's funny, isn't it? Jesus, at some level, is always speaking so clearly. And at another level, you listen to him and you just go, sorry, Jesus, what did you just say? So <laughs> I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to pray for us uh, that God would indeed help us and that we might make some sense of what we see today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word uh, that we've just heard read. Uh, We thank you, Father, that you, the author, are present with us today by your Holy Spirit. Father, be at work in our hearts. Open tired ears. Quicken our hearts, Father, so that we might hear what you would say to us today, that we might be changed to be more and more like Jesus and more and more pleasing to him. And we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, we're we're in... uh, we're in John's account of Jesus' life, and we've been perched, if you remember, just after Judas has left the upper room, we've been perched at the door exiting the upper room. And the last three weeks, uh, we've looked at uh, the Father and the Son, we've looked at the Son and the Spirit, and then this week, we're going to look at the Son and believers. The Son and believers. And if you missed out the other ones, uh, they're online, and you should go and have a listen, because they've been, I think, helpful. Is that right? Largely. Some of you are nodding, which is excellent. I want to think a little bit uh, this morning about the main topic uh, that we're talking about. I want to think about prayer. Uh, I thought this was a great piece of um, street graffiti. Uh, Prayer with a Nike symbol underneath it. Um, The the tagline being, just do it, I guess. So just pray, I think, is the uh, the idea there. Uh, I thought I might just do a little bit of Googling last night and think, how many people pray? How many people pray? So best figures, these are the best figures that I could find. In America, people who say that they pray every week, 84%. Now, if that, that in no way correlates with the number of people who go to church, right? It doesn't say who they pray to either, okay? But people who pray, 84% in America. In the UK, uh, so a little bit more like us in the UK, of people said they prayed to God in the last week. Again, that is in no way correlated even with church attendance there. In Australia, I couldn't find anyone who asked anyone how often they prayed. Not surprising, Australians are a bit like that. But the the stats say that when asked, not just ticking Christian in the census, but when asked, do you believe in a God, the most recent census uh, data I could find from 2009 suggested 68% of Australians said they believed in God. That's a pretty remarkable statistic, I would have thought. I would have thought all of those who say they believe in a God would probably believe in a God so that they could pray to him, yes? So I don't imagine there are too many people who say that they believe in a God and are in, uninterested in, uh, in talking to him. So I think that's probably unlikely. So it's got to be somewhere in that sort of vicinity, I would think, uh, the number of Australians who pray. So let me ask you this question then, assuming that you're in church, guessing you're going to pray. When we pray, what do we pray for those that we love? What do we pray for those that we love? What's the prayer that's on our heart when we're thinking about those that we love? Dear Lord, what? Have a think about that for a second. God will come into their hearts. Excellent, Pamela. That's really helpful to know. Um, I'd imagine there's a whole lot of people here who won't be as bold as you, Pamela, who will have things that they pray things that they pray for people that they love. Let me ask you this question. What do you pray for Christians, other Christians, other than yourself, 
when you remember them? What would you be likely to pray for other Christians when you remember them? Well, as we think about those two questions, uh, we could ask ourselves this. Do you remember this? This was very hip a while ago. How long ago? 20 years ago, maybe. (laughs) I don't know, a long time ago. Does anyone remember what this stands for? What would Jesus do? WWJD. It used to be on, you know, people had on their little um, wristbands and all that sort of thing. You ask yourself, hey, what would Jesus do? Well, in this, in this thing, we could probably change it to WWJP, what would Jesus pray? But we don't have to guess. We don't have to guess. We have before us in John chapter 17 exactly what Jesus prayed. And as we, as we look at uh, Jesus' prayer today, I want to suggest that there are seven parts to it. He prays for God, he prays for others, and then he prays for confidence, endurance, holiness, unity, and community. And we're going to have a look at God's prayer here, Jesus' prayer to his Father here, uh, with those things in mind. So let's start off, uh, we're going to John 17, and have a look at how Jesus opens this prayer. In John 17, uh, verse 1, it says, uh, He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. It's amazing, isn't it? What's the first thing on Jesus' heart as he turns his mind to his heavenly Father? This is what it is. Should it surprise us? We've been working through John's Gospel. Are we surprised that Jesus is on about glory? Your answer is? Oh, that's great. Excellent. Of course it is. We've seen glory again and again and again be the passion of the Father, of the Son, and indeed of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus opens his prayer of address with a prayer for glory. Uh, Two things for us to quickly note here. How Jesus addresses his Father. He calls him Father. And we kind of go, of course. Uh, It would have been highly, highly unusual for a Jew to address In fact, it would have been impossible for a Jew to regularly have addressed God in that way. It was overly familiar. I don't know if you've heard it said before, but this this word here, Father, is as intimate as a child speaking to their beloved father. And so almost daddy. It's pretty striking, isn't it? Daddy. Now, I have actually sat with people who've prayed using daddy. I feel a bit awkward. Um... But there's an intimacy there that we often miss. We kind of, I think when we get father, it sounds a little bit English and formal to us, doesn't it? Father. That's kind of how we would say it, right? Whereas I think it's far more relational. It's far more connected. It's far more intimate. Jesus is saying, Daddy. That's beautiful, isn't it? And we see that relationship is at the heart of what Jesus is on about here because in verse 3, we see what eternal life is all about. Verse 3, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is relating to the Father and the Son. That's what it is at its essence. And Jesus is showing us something precious about himself. He's saying, Holy Father, glorify me. 
And the only way that's possible is if the Father and the Son are one. Because if God glorifies something other than himself, he will be an idolater. So if God the Father glorifies something else other than himself, he will be making that into an idol. The only thing in the whole universe worthy of glory is God. And so when he says, when Jesus says, glorify your son, he's actually saying, you and I are one. It's right and proper that you glorify the son. Extraordinary, isn't it? So here we are. We start with glory. And then Jesus moves on to somebody other than himself. So God first, others second. This is what he prays in, uh, in verses 6 to 10. I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. I gave them the words that you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. The word I hear repeated again and again through there is the the word picture I've got. It's the gift. God has gifted people to his son. His son has given these people his word and Jesus is bringing them before his father. They are a gift from the father to the son and Jesus is saying, well, I want to lift them up to you. And it's interesting, isn't it? We see in verse 8, he says, uh, they're marked out as those who know with certainty that I came from you and that they have believed that you sent me. Jesus is praying for the ones who believe. And it says in verse 9, something quite remarkable, I think. It says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. Jesus is saying, my focus is on the believers. That is who I am praying for, which is great. And then Jesus gets very specific, and that's where we're going to look at the next five points uh, that Jesus makes here. Has anyone uh, seen these ads on TV? Can anyone remember the word that goes with this guy? Confidence. He's Mr. Confidence. This is not uh, advertising for the NRMA at all, but have you seen? No one's seen the ads. Seen the guy? uh, The idea is he's Mr. Confidence. And so it's the embodying of uh, this uh, insurance company is you can have confidence by your side. And so here's Mr. Confidence in the midst of the storm looking like he's totally sorted out. Confidence is the idea of the ad. Of course, insurance gives you some degree of confidence. We're going to see a much greater reason for confidence uh, in these verses here. Look with me at verses 11 to 12. Jesus answered... Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong, uh, the wrong, the wrong passage there. Here we go, verse 11, 12. Um, I will remain in the world no longer, he says in verse 11. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed for destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus is speaking here to his father and again addresses him here in an even more amazing way. He calls him Holy Father. There's a sense in which God's awesome and intimate at the same time. Uh, Holy Father is the way he speaks to God. And then he says, I need to pray to you, God, because I'm departing. 
He says in verse 12, while I was with you, I protected them. In other words, Jesus is saying, I looked after my little chickens under the shelter of my wings. I I cared for them. But Father, I'm going now, and so I need to talk to you about them. I need to talk to you about them because I'm going to depart. And so new protection is needed. Jesus is petitioning his father to say, can you care for my precious ones in this world? And so the first thing we learn, this wonderful prayer for confidence for us, is that we're going to be eternally safe. Because Jesus asked the Father on our behalf to protect us. That's great to know, isn't it? Jesus asked the Father to protect us, and so we are eternally safe. And that is guaranteed by his name, the name that he was given, the great I Am. Jesus says, I'm as sure as my name, and my name is God. We're eternally safe. That's the first part of Jesus' prayer, that we can have great confidence. Uh, This is my second picture. Uh, Can you see what this is? Aeroplane? Can you see the guy exiting the the, uh, vehicle there? Uh, It's an ejector seat. I love them. Very exciting piece of equipment. Um, So if the plane's going down, if the plane's in any trouble, what you do is you reach up over your head and you pull on the handles there and it starts a rocket in your seat. And uh, it blows the the top off and you shoot out so that you're no longer in the place where the problem is. You assume that you've told the guy in front that you're leaving. And then then you punch out, right? So when it gets tough, we want to depart. When it gets hard, when the plane's about to go down, you want to get out of there, right? So we we depart. I want you to see something quite remarkable in this next bit. Uh, There's something about not leaving in this passage here in Jesus' prayer. Have a look with me at verses 13 to 16. I'm coming to you now, Jesus says, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even even as I am not of the world. It's quite remarkable. It's quite unusual. Jesus saying here, he's praying for them that they might have the full measure of joy within them. He's saying, I want joy for you, but not escape. Church, if that's the only thing that you hear here, it's pretty remarkable. We, We think, hey, the plane, the engines are out, we're heading towards the ground, What do I want, Jesus? I want you to punch me up. I want you to beam me up. I want you to get me out of here. And Jesus is saying, I have joy for you, but I do not have escape. I have joy for you, but I do not have escape. I don't want to take you out of the world. I need to protect you, however, because you do have a foe. It says there in verse 14 that the world has hated them. Christians are going to have an enemy in the world. The world will hate you. Um, That doesn't mean everyone will hate you, but it means that the world generally won't be very pleased about Christians being around the place. Have you experienced this? You have, haven't you? On the whole, the world does not rejoice that we exist. Sometimes we can do things that they're pleased about, but on the whole, uh, we're not the most welcome people in the world. Uh, The world has hated them, phone number one. The phone number two is is the one that um, Jesus particularly speaks to. Um, In in verse 15 he says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Our second 
need for protection when Jesus departs is not just the world who will hate us, but the evil one who will seek to destroy us. So what Jesus is going to say here is that we're secure aliens, okay? The world won't, re- the world won't receive you as its own. You have another home. In fact, it says in Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we're secure, but we're aliens here. I want you to think about the way that Jesus protects us. Um, He says that the devil is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, yeah? I would say that when Jesus says, Father, protect them from the evil one, Jesus is saying, put a cage around the devil, okay? He will not be able to get you. So there's the lion. He's roaring. He's scary. But he's unable to touch you if you're a Christian. Great news, right? The devil can't get to you. However, I suspect it's possible for you to get to the devil if you really want to. Do you know that story a little while ago of the guy who climbed inside the, the, bear's, um, the bear's pen? A uh, little boy wandered inside the bear's pen. I think it's entirely possible for us to go the other way. But what it's saying is Jesus will never let him come to you. Make sense? Good. The other one that we're going to be protected from is the... Uh, the <laughs> The sense in which the world can destroy us through mockery and hatred. Um, The world can do all sorts of things to us, but it can never take our home from us. Where is your citizenship? Our citizenship is in heaven. So when you're mocked and made fun of, when you're belittled, when you're in prison, you have another citizenship. You have another country, uh, the passport of which will never be taken from you. So God will keep secure his aliens in this world. And so I want you to love your true home and be useful here while you're waiting. Yeah? He says, I'm not going to take you out. I'm not going to take you out because I have a purpose for you in this world. So love your true home and be useful while you wait. It's really interesting. A great quote from a guy called Don Carson. He says this, The spiritual dimensions of this prayer of Jesus are consistent and overwhelming. By contrast, we spend much more time today praying about our health, our projects, our decisions, our finances, our family, and even our games than we do praying about the danger of the evil one. Does that ring true for you? Jesus is saying, my top priority, Lord, is that you protect them from the evil one. And we go, I don't think I've prayed about that in, I don't know how long. And so what I want you to hear today is Jesus's focus and learn from it. Uh, does anyone know where this is? Call it out. Absolutely, SCG. It's just a piece of grass, but in the right time of year, it is hallowed turf, yes? For some of us, I see some sh- nodding heads. That's good. Hallowed turf. This, Tim, not so much, right? Tim, yeah, it's just grass. Um, for those who know what it is, right, it's a bit of grass, set aside for a purpose. It becomes special because of the purpose that it's set aside for. So particularly when it's an ashes test in Sydney for five days, that bit of grass, hallowed. Special, set aside for a purpose. That is the language of this part of Jesus' prayer here in verses 17 to 19. Not about cricket, unfortunately, but here's what he says. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you've sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Now we hear this word sanctified and we go, what does it mean? Well, first of all, it means set aside for a purpose. 
a special purpose. So taken and set aside for that special purpose. And Jesus models this to us. He says, my life, God, is set aside for the purpose of honoring and glorifying you. That's what he says. I'm here, I've lived my whole life that I might be obedient to you. And when he says at the start of this prayer, my hour is come, he's saying, my obedience will be shown in me going to the cross. That's how you'll be glorified, God. I've set my life aside for you and I will glorify you through my obedience. So Jesus models being sanctified to us, being set aside for a purpose. And more than that, he tells us the way we can be sanctified. We'll be cleansed up and set aside for his purpose through the cross and particularly through his word. And so he says in verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So if we want to be obedient, if we want to be set aside for God's purposes, we need to be intimately familiar with his word. So you are, we are, according to Jesus' prayer, set apart, that's the sanctified idea, and sent for his purpose. And sent for his purpose. Uh, Have a look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, Jesus prayed, I have sent them into the world. And so you have been picked from doing whatever it was you were doing in your life, saved onto Jesus' team, and set aside for the purpose of being sent from your heavenly Father. It says in, in 2 Corinthians that God was making his appeal through us. And so we are a letter stamped and sealed by the Holy Spirit and sent into the world for God's purpose. What that means for us, I guess, is that we'd better be on track with God's purpose. That means that giving the message of new life and living new life for Jesus has to be our focus and not just our hobby. Not just two hours on Sunday, but actually what we're here for is to do that, to live new life for Jesus and to be giving the message of new life in his name. Uh, One of my favorite things in the whole world, after Jesus, of course, Lego, love Lego. Um, Do you get any sense of purpose from this picture? No, I see mess, and I see a whole lot lot of color and mess. Okay, here's the thing, though. If we take a plan, and we pull that together, and we turn it into that, okay, all of a sudden, a pile of Lego becomes something that clearly has a purpose, that clearly has an intent behind it, and a creator, and a purpose, right? So that pile, that messy pile, becomes in the right hands something with purpose and beauty that points to its maker. That's Jesus' prayer. Some assembly required, I think. Have a look at verses 20 to 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Uh, Incidentally, how will anyone believe in their message if we don't speak? I pray too for those who will believe in me because of their message. Does Jesus' prayer stop here? It mustn't, so we need to pass on the message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. I think the idea is if we come together with purpose, the purpose of our creator, we will show that he, that he is the one who has sent us. So first of all, we should know that Jesus prayed for you. I'm praying for those who will believe in their message. When did he pray first and foremost? 2,000 years ago. We're here today. Have you believed in their message? Absolutely. So Jesus says, I'm praying for those who believed in your message. 
Here's what you can know today. Jesus prayed for you. That's pretty good. Secondly, that we're to be united in God. So it's not just um, all the churches will have a bright, shiny sign on the front that is the same, but that we would find unity in our God and I think that we would find unity as a witness to the world. Incidentally, that's why I made it into a fishing boat. Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men, you see. I think we're most united when we're most united in the purpose of fishing together. My, mate, uh, my, my former boss at, at um, Fig Tree was a guy called Bruce Clark, and he said, he's a fisherman, mad keen fisherman. He said, when the fishermen aren't fishing, they're fighting. You put them on a boat all day, he said, when they're not fishing, they're fighting. I think this is profoundly true of the church. When we're not sharing the good news of Jesus together, we're pushing each other all over the boat and asking who's sitting on my esky and all the rest of it. So I think we'll only ever find unity when we're proclaiming Jesus together. And the only way we'll do that is if we can agree together on who it is that we're proclaiming. So if you don't have a good purpose, then you can assemble things, but they won't do much fishing. So there can be a unity that's just stacking stuff together, but it's only when it comes together for a purpose that it really matters. So where to be a one shepherd flock, where to be a group of people who say, Jesus is our Lord together. Jesus is our Lord together. Where to be a family in Jesus as a witness to the world. So when we witness to the world together, we are showing, him, showing the world that we have one heavenly father. And uh, I love that in uh, Oran Park Public School, where we do scripture there, we do that with the Baptists. So here's a picture of Dean and Michael and I sitting down having a cup of coffee because they're a group of people that we can proclaim Jesus with. And we have absolutely no problems doing that and we are united with them in that purpose. That's the unity Jesus is looking for. Not that there not be a Baptist church in our suburb. Boo, hiss. I'm delighted that they're here. They do things a little bit differently. They move the esky. They probably fill it up with water, actually. Um, I'm delighted that they're there. And we don't need to focus on, I need to win you over to my view of baptism or something like that. We need to say, how can we proclaim Jesus together? And we're doing that, and I love it. And I think that's the unity that Jesus was praying for. Uh, It's about to be destroyed. Does anyone know where the fussy grape was? It's now history the fussy grape, just up as we go up Oran Park Drive and turn on to Camden Valley Way, the fussy grape in there. I went up to the fussy grape when it was still there and uh, had a chat with the, uh, the vine grower there and he's talking to me about branches that cut off and join on and all the rest of it. I think Jesus is praying about being joined to the vine in this passage here as he finishes up. Have a look with me at verses 24 to 26. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me, and I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus is saying, join them up. Link them into this community that you have made. Our ultimate destination is around that throne that we heard in Revelation 7 from Bev's reading. That's where we're going to end up. There will be unity. We'll all be joined together before the throne of God, praising him from every tribe, language, nation, denomination. Yeah? We'll be praising Jesus. So that's our ultimate destination. The way that we'll get there is because Jesus makes himself known by revelation. He says, I've made you known to them. And it's an ongoing work. He will continue to make 
known his word, which is exciting. So we have a glorious destination, we have a spiritual revelation, and God himself will work through us. Let me finish up with this. When he had finished praying, Jesus left the disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. We finally left the upper room. This prayer that Jesus has just prayed is the, is the last bit before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to ask you this. Do you think that God heard Jesus' prayer? Do you think God heard Jesus' prayer? Do you think he'll answer it? Okay, so here's the thing. What do we learn then? So how should I live differently if that's what Jesus prayed for me? Let me put up, let me put up, the things that we heard, that God would be glorified, that others would be included, that we might have confidence, in, uh, comf- confidence, endurance, holiness, unity, and community. How should we live differently if that's what Jesus prayed for us? I think we need to seek God's glory. I think we need to be people who love others. I think we need to be people who take confidence in the assurance of God. I think we need to be people who embrace endurance. I think, gee, I think this is hard. God, this is tough right now. I want to pull myself. He says, no, I want you to endure. We need to be people who desire holiness. We need to be people who express unity and who long for the community that will be at the end. This is where I really want the rubber to hit the road. How should I pray differently? How should I pray differently? So if that's how Jesus prayed, how should I pray differently? Again, here are our things. First thing is, do I ever call for the glory of God? Glorify your son. It's just not on my radar. Can can you please get to the things that I need you to do for me right now, God? Jesus prayed for the glory of the Father and for himself to be glorified. When do I ever pray for that? Me personally, not you. I won't express it onto you. But here's what I need to focus more on the glory of God. I need to keep remembering others and not just my list. That's helpful. When it comes to confidence, I think that we need to be thankful and not fearful. So so when we're afraid, right, we go, will God care for me? Has he got me? And here Jesus guaranteed us that he would look after us. He said he would protect us from the evil one. So instead of being terrified, I think we need to be embracing the thankfulness of the confidence that God has given us. So we need to go, God, I am so thankful for what you have done. I thank you that the evil one cannot attack me. What a different prayer that is. I think that we need to be informed by endurance. So when I pray, it's almost like the only prayer we know is a prayer for healing, right? The only prayer we know is a prayer for healing. What about right suffering? Now, guys, I want everyone to be healed, so I'm going to keep praying for that, okay? But what if, what if, what if God was looking for my character in the midst of my suffering? And so I think we need to let endurance inform our prayer more than it has in the past. I think we need to request holiness. So, so Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified. I think we need to pray, make me holy. Anyone done that recently? If you have, good. I want to encourage you to keep doing it. Make me holy. I need to pray 
I need to pray more that I'd be able to express unity with other believers in proclaiming Jesus. That in my workplace, in my, in my, uh, in my social setting, wherever it is, if there's another Christian, that we'd find unity in Jesus. And that we might be a community of people that give witness to Jesus by loving one another. Now, if I pray like that, my prayer would look quite different. How about yours? I think we're left with two choices today. We can be people who are in the world, or we can be people who are believers, confident in Jesus. If we're in the world, here's what it says. Jesus didn't pray for you. If we're people who are believers, Jesus prayed for you, and he wants great things for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. We thank you that he set himself aside for the purpose of making you known. We thank you for his obedience. We thank you for his passion for your glory. Heavenly Father, would you stir us? Would you remind us of the great hope we have, the great confidence we can take that the devil and the world will not overwhelm us? Father, would you encourage us that you aren't taking us out of this world, but you are enabling us to stand for you in this world? Heavenly Father, would you help us not to be a pile scattered all over the place, but be assembled for a fishing vessel to go forth in this world. Father, may you help us to proclaim your word in this world. And lastly, Father, we pray that that unity that you longed for might be expressed as we do that for your glory. We ask it until the day we stand together in your presence. Amen.